How great are you, God? I, that has been a marching theme for two weeks for me as I drag my sorry old body up hills. And your mercy, your compassion, your grace, your greatness are beyond comparison. I thank you for, for letting us spend a couple weeks in an environment that isn't so controlled by us that we lose sight that you are in control. It's a wondrous thing to be out of control of the deer and the elk and the weather and where and when and the sticks and the rocks and all the things that we're dependent on you for. The wind. The wind has been a mighty one. We cannot be a factual hunter without the wind working in the right direction. You're the God of the wind. You've shown that. I don't think there's a, a deer or an elk in, amongst the brothers that has been killed that hasn't been obvious to them and to the rest of us that you gave it to us. And I thank you for that. That's the most important thing. I thank you for being a loving Father who gives good gifts. God, I ask that you would prepare both Jen and Ray to have a good day, to go to have a good drive to Boise and a good night and good dinner and Cause them to to realize that it's a glorious thing that they can celebrate a covenant they're in with you. And when with each other, cause them to realize there's hope and there's grace and there's mercy and there's goodness. And that there's nothing more profound than being in a right relationship with you. God, please teach us from your word. Teach us from Galatians. The more I read it, the more I realize the relevance. So somehow go beyond me and teach my brothers and sisters why you preserved this, why you wrote this, why you inspired Paul to, to pen and, and preserved it through the centuries to teach us pertinently and directly. Amen. Uh, Galatians. I'm going to read it and we'll do it. Um, I'm not sure that the, that the actual would start um, in verse 1. Oftentimes, I mean, the chapter divisions were, were done in order for, to make it easy to reference. Not necessarily divinely inspired, but so, I'll start with verse 24 of chapter 5. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another or envying one another. Brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore a one, such a one, in a spirit of gentleness, looking to yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and thus fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, and not in regard to one another. For each one shall bear his own load. And let the one who is taught the word share all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while it, we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now see with what large letters I am writing this with my own hand. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh, try to compel you to be circumcised, simply that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. 
For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. But may it never be that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision anything, but a new creation. And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you in your spirit. Brethren, amen. There's, you know, Galatians at first goes through it. It seems like the more time I've spent there, um, the more depth and the more pertinence it is. I was looking forward to, not looking forward to, but the plan is to go um, to move on to Ephesians. I read through Ephesians this morning and there's a lot there. And I'm pretty anxious to go there. There's some really good, good stuff there. But there's, uh, you know, it seemed like the more I, I've studied this last chapter over the last week, thinking we'll simply go, the more complexity is actually there, more things to talk about. So, um, again, we'll, I'll trust God to encourage you, motivate you to spend time and read. And again, a, f- a first reading through myself, even a 50th reading through or whatever it's been, is just begins to to speak of the depth that show the depth of what is actually here. But let's just hit on a couple things today. Um, because we are time constrained, and then we'll be about it. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have been crucified, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. I, I can't, I, I can't emphasize enough the necessity of pondering that. Um, Jesus died in a specific period of time and it was ordained by God, you need to realize that God in His perfect timing and His perfect eternal purpose chose the period of time when Jesus came on earth and was crucified purposely. Okay? There was... Crucifixion really meant nothing to anyone prior to that. And actually means very little to us except that we're around Christendom and hear the word a lot. But... God purposely chose to to infuse the reality of the Messiah, the fulfillment of the Messiah, the institution of the new covenant in his relationship with man. In a period of time when when Romans were using crucifixion to kill people. It was prophesied in the Old Testament, um, but it would have been very hard to understand because they didn't use crucifixion to kill people in the Old Testament. Um, in any time prior, um, probably very little afterwards. Afterwards, there was a lot of, I mean, the church, um, pardon me, went awry pretty quick. And there was a lot of things that, you know, um, there was people crucified, there was people crucified upside down, there was all kinds of things that, that went south pretty quick with crucifixion. But it's amazing how God use that period of time, that crucifixion, that current understanding of what it meant, and here we are now. But we really need to, to, to a degree, transpose ourselves back and not just think of a, of a, of a nice little cross with Jesus on it. Um, crucifixion was a brutal, torturous, time-consuming event. Um, when he says to crucify our flesh... I'm confident that he chose this period of time for a lot of reasons, but I'm very confident he chose it for a period of time. That doesn't come easy. I mean, consider this. This is something, and he is saying, willingly put yourself, your flesh, in crucifixion. Die to yourself. Now, all of us, instead of crucifixion, we really want some kind of a pill. Some kind of a quick formula. Maybe even a bullet to the head. You know, commit suicide in your flesh, you know, or something, because this would be easy and fast and a quick fix. Crucifixion is something 
the whole process in dying is is to go through immense pain and suffering and 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 it takes a period of time. You basically suffocate to death. Um, and, and it's it's brutal and it's tough and it's hard. So be that's what God calls us to. Not to be masochist, not to you know, there's all kinds of forms of of deception that happen, people carrying crosses around and and trying to in our bodies earn our salvation. Um, it's not what this is about. This is about we need to be willing to kill our flesh. We need to be willing to die to ourselves. There's there's a we'd like to leave this thought and we'll cover a couple of other points with you. Remember back a while um, we talked it's been quite a while, but we talked about what it means to be created in the image of God. Okay? And, and what that looks like. And, and my whole life I've heard a lot of things about what that might mean. Um, and I, I, I throw out, because I, I believe that, to the best of my understanding, this far in my life, um, without hearing a better understanding and believing that it's 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 complies or or is in line with what the scripture says that primarily being created in the image of God means being an outpour. Okay? This is a completely different concept contrary to us, to our flesh. Our flesh says that happiness will come by self gratification. Our flesh says that that I will be happy, content fulfilled if I satisfy myself. Our, everything about our flesh, and our world says this. Um, our world, call itself, our, our, our culture that we live in, call itself Christian or not, it is absolutely anti-Christian in most, in most of its concepts, in most of its motivators. Self-gratification is the absolute opposite of fulfillment. And, and, and we think it is. We're told that. We're told the whole life that that's what it is. And, and yet it's the opposite of how God created us in His image. God created us in His image that true fulfillment, true contentment, true peace, true happiness will happen when we outpour ourselves. God is the ultimate outpour. We need, you need to consider this and, and think of the character and nature, the image of God. Who is God? God is an outpour. God has, in spite of our deceived misunderstandings, has continually outpoured himself to humankind from day one, since he created Adam and Eve. He has continually and consistently outpoured his love and his mercy and his grace and compassion towards mankind. That's his his desire. Why? Because his desire is to have a relationship with his creation. And, and he does that not by demanding servitude. He does that by outpouring his love towards us. The result, the right relationship with God can only be achieved by our outpouring of ourselves to him. Okay? Outpouring of our life. Our lives are no longer about ourselves, but our lives are about outpouring. It's contrary to what our flesh says. It's contrary to what our world says that we will be satisfied if we import and intake. And yet, and, and we fulfill the things. That, that is why he says, your flesh, remember we read, we read the other day, it says, for the flesh, in chapter 5, the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another. So that what? So that you may not do the things that you please. So the things that the things that motivate you, the things that you want in your flesh, the things you desire in your flesh, to feel, to go after those, to gratify those, to fulfill those, to pursue those, to to think that that the they will be satisfied and you will be satisfied and content by accumulation or by assimilation of things into you. That is a completely wrong concept. That is where the flesh comes against the spirit. This is about life, period. That's why the term crucifixion is a very important one. 
Because he says, time and again here, I have been crucified with Christ, Paul says. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In this life which I live, I now live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. A belief in Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. And that's not an add to my life. That is the consumptive totality and motivation of my life. It's contrary to our flesh, and we need to consider this. We are told in the gospel that we preach today that you can be self-consumptive, self-fulfilling, and have add Jesus to it, and your life's pretty good. Okay? You've got your religious fulfillment, your eternal security fulfillment, your safeguard, um, in case you get in trouble, get out of jail free card from God, because he's there, you can pray and cry out to him. That's a false gospel. That is, that is not the gospel. The gospel says that we have to crucify ourselves. And I, and I would, I would leave it with you to consider. Does that mean we go put nails through our hands and spikes through our feet and, and literally die of suffocation on a cross? No, that won't do any good any more than circumcision will do any good, as Paul says. Okay? But, but inside, from our heart, you have to realize that, that the Old Covenant, it, it, it's an amazing thing. And, and this is where it boils down to, and it's, again, the whole, the whole discourse of, of Galatians. The letter to the Church of Galatia was about what? It was about circumcision. That, that is the central theme that, that the Jewish people who had gotten to know about Jesus Christ were coming back and saying, Yes, it is Jesus Christ. He is your Lord and Savior, but you must be circumcised. Okay? Because God called you to be circumcised. You must add to it. You must have these outward things that are part of your salvation. And the, 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 Paul's radical opposition to that in Galatians, um, radical. And we've talked about some of the things, statements that he made. He said, if you're circumcised, then Jesus Christ is of no use to you. Oops. Because if Jesus Christ has no purpose, has, isn't our all in all, we're damned eternally. So, that's a really bad state. He says, so if you're circumcised, it has no use to you. The circumcision, we need to be, again, like I've said before, we need to be very careful not to isolate it and say, well, that, Okay, fine. I understand it doesn't really have pertinence to me. I understand it doesn't bring salvation. Let's move on. No, circumcision is a description, is a, is a, is a very eminent one at the day. Remember, circumcision was a commandment by God. We read it last week, right? And he says if you're not circumcised, when he, when he talked to Abraham, right? Abraham, prior to the law. And he said, this was a sign. If you're not circumcised, you are not one of the chosen people. Did they have the New Testament to counter that yet? No. They didn't have the New Testament to counter that. Okay? Remember, they didn't have Paul's letters put together to go, that doesn't mean anything. The only written word they had was the Old Testament. Okay? The problem is, like so many things and so easily happens, is did they understand circumcision and what God had intent? No. They'd given it their own interpretation. They'd given it their own bent. They'd given it their own emphasis, like we do with so many things we do, rather than what was God's heart. Was God's heart that, that you know, circumcision in its reality, okay, of the flesh, was going to bring right standing with with him? Did God think that was ever going to happen? Or had any meaning? No. It was representative. Okay? It was representative of what? Of a circumcised heart. Of a people set aside for God. Always was that way. Did, did the blood of bulls and goats make men right with God? No. Did burnt offerings make men right with God? No. Okay? But there was a necessity in the Old Covenant. And we need to consider this. That the Old Covenant 
was man able to be set free from the bondage of sin? Was he able to die to himself and live in the supernatural resurrection power that Jesus Christ had? No. Okay? Was it by faith that he was saved just like we are now? Yes. What happened at the completion fulfillment when Jesus came as the Messiah, as the perfect sacrifice? All these, the system of law and these symbolic things that God had told them to do, okay, became absolutely meaningless because they were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Well, what's that mean? That means all of a sudden we don't have to do anything. All we got to do is say a prayer and we're saved. Those guys, they had to do a lot of stuff. We don't have to do anything. All we have to do is, that is not at all what it means. Jesus says, unless you are born again, Okay? And let's be very clear. You cannot be born again unless you die. You don't stand, you don't get to have two lives. In spite of what we may think. My born again life with God and my, the rest of my life in my flesh. It doesn't happen that way. You're born again because you've been crucified with Christ. Died to, died to your flesh. It's not an addition to. What they did in the Old Testament was all looking forward to the completion by Jesus Christ. And under the New Covenant now, we are enabled to fulfill the law. We are enabled to live out a righteous and holy life. We are empowered. For us to continue in the mentality that, that I need to do this and I need to pay this, in order to take care of my sin. And I need to act this way in order to be right before God. And I need to add this to my life in order, and I need to come to church and I need to read my Bible more and I need to do all these things in order to be right, make myself right with God. You're not going to do, make yourself right with God by doing any of those. You will make yourself right by God when you die to yourself. I die. Not a false coma that you can resurrect when you get tired of it and want to do it. You don't tie yourself to the cross and pretend to be circumcised and then untie yourself and get off and go, yeah, I did that, didn't I? Death. Crucified. And then living out the new life. A new creature. What does he say? For neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision. But what? But a new creation. Okay? To be, we, have, we, we throw loosely around the term born again. And in our culture, we believe that you're born again if you repeat some words out of your mouth. That's a tragic, ridiculous postulate. You're not born again by repeating some words with your mouth. You're born again when you're crucified with Christ. And there's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Okay? This is a, this is a profound revelation that nothing happened in, that did, never happened in the Old Testament, but all the things that they had that we're looking forward to. It's an amazing thing because we as Christians now call ourselves, we are not under the law. See, we're not under the law. And yet we are probably every bit as legalistic as the Jews were. We believe that there's this and there's that and there's this and there's that and there's these ways and this way you look and this and this thing you act and these things you don't do and these things you do do and those all make you a Christian or not a Christian. Just as much as they did in the Old Testament. Be assured, if you are born again, you will be a new creature. You will be a different person. It will reflect a distinction of life. We will be the light of the world. We will be a new man and a new woman. That will happen and that will result in fruit. That will result in, in an outward display. But he speaks about it in the beginning, too, of, of this chapter. Do we live, do we live to please for the, for the glory and the acceptance of man? Or do we live for the glory and acceptance of God? Because if we live for the glory and acceptance of man and to, to validate our Christendom by other people validating it for us by saying, yes, you are a Christian, 
because you're this way and you're that way and you're not this way and you're not that way. You do say this, you don't say that. We cannot please God. He said, let's look at a couple other things here. But let each one examine his own work, in verse 4, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another, for each one will bear his own word, his own load. We are not to live our lives as Christians comparing ourselves to other Christians. Okay? Our life as a born-again believer is not to be lived out and validated by how we fit in the world of Christendom. Now, be very careful to say, I don't. Because the, the thrust of Christianity is to do that. It's why we'll take the, the church as we call it, the big C, has always compared itself to the world and its righteousness by it. The big C throughout history has always done this. Here's the world and its degeneracy and immorality and impurity and greed and lust and all these things, and here's the church. We sit up here and we don't do some of these and we act better than that. And as, as the society does this, we do this. And as society does this, we do this. And we, we just set ourselves above it and compare ourselves to it and judge ourselves by that. Well, those are words that Christians don't use. Those are words that pagans use. Those, those are things that Christians don't do. Those are things that pagans do. Doing it. And we set ourselves aside and say, you guys are bad and we're good. We all compare ourselves. And we do the same thing within Christendom in our little churches as we go. God says we are to live by the Spirit. Let each man examine his own stance before God, his obedience and surrender and submission to God. Not how he looks compared to others. Okay? Let each man, what has God called you to? What has God called you to do? And we are to examine our lives according to, our, according to that, not according to what other people look like or how we act in relation to that. I'm going, to, I'm going to jump on a few different points here. There's, there's one here that I, I felt I feel remiss to not speak about because verse six through ten is probably um, one of the best descriptions of of Christian tithing. Okay, verses six through ten they go together. We don't they're not to be separated. They're a contiguous thought. Okay, and they need to be read like that. You guys know this is a difficult, and, and it is. It's a difficult one for me. I, somebody else needs to come up and teach this. You know? um, I don't like to talk about that. And yet, what would be remiss about me is something that's referred to here. God, in, in verse 7, he says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. It would be remiss of me to realize to not encourage my brothers and sisters. What do you want to reap? For you to miss out on harvest from God would be tragic for me. This isn't about you sustaining this thing or keeping this ugly monster of a building going and, and you know, trying to keep food on my table or whatever it might be. It's not what this is about. God is my provider. Okay? God is my provider. But I do not want my brothers and sisters to miss out. This is the this is a maybe one of the, the best dissertations on New Testament tithing. You'll have to excuse me, but New Testament tithing, ten percent, is not in the New Testament. You won't find it there. Okay? 10% tithe is an Old Testament principle um, that, that God said, because you're a bunch of stiff-necked, not moved by the Spirit, unloving, selfish people. Okay? Here's God's view on New Testament, on a, on a new creature's interrelationship in tithing. Okay? Verses 6 to 10. And let the one who has taught the Word share all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. And this is a contiguous thought. Do not be deceived. 
God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption. Now, immediately we go, well, if you're out drinking and chasing women and having illicit sex and doing all these things, then you're going to reap the corruption of that. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about giving. Okay? He's talking about satisfying. He's talking about gratifying. What do I do? What do I spend my money on? What do I spend my time on? How do I regard my money and my time? Okay? Is it my money and my time to do with as I please? Or what am I, where, where am I sowing that? Do I believe in the reality of God? Because God is not mocked. What a man sows, he reaps. Okay? Put God to the test, it says in Malachi. Put God to the test. Bring your tithe, and he will open the floodgates of heaven. This is the same thing in a New Testament principle. Listen, the one who sows to his own flesh, that is not, we're not talking about, we're talking, remember, we talked a couple weeks ago. We have to get over this concept that the flesh is evil. And I'm not evil, so I'm not of the flesh. No, we are of the flesh. In the flesh inherently, in and of itself, God made the flesh. Okay? God made man. What's the distinction? What are we led by? Am I led by my feelings? Am I led by my wants? By my desires? By my fulfillment? By my pleasure? Am I led by this? Alright? Or am I acting in the image of God? and led by the Spirit of God, which will cause me to be led by this. An outpour. Okay? Trusting absolutely in the reality of God. Let, let me make a statement that, that I couldn't make bold enough. You will not outgive God. Consider the fact that God is a loving Father. A loving Father, you think a little child could outgive his Father? It's a ridiculous postulate. To teach a little child to try to give, to try to care about it. I mean, it's the sweetest thing in the world. The sweetest thing. Gene's walking around with, with Justice the other day and, and, and he looks up at her and he goes, how is your day going, Grammy? You know? I mean, that's giving. Okay? That's, that's him being taught to outpour, to care about others, that the world isn't centered around him, that he should care about other people. Let me guarantee you, he will reap the benefits of that a hundredfold, of that little expression of, I care about you at this moment, Grammy, more than myself. Okay? You think God is a loving father, is going to be outgiven? He's not a taker, he's an outpour. God is not somebody, a Scrooge that is just accumulating and give me and give me mine and give me what's due me. God is a loving God that wants to teach His children to put their faith and trust in Him. And let's be very, very clear. Money is a very, very important and vital part of that. Okay? That's why God says you cannot serve God and mammon. Okay? Again, what's mammon? Excess. We tend to think of it as we can, you cannot serve God and be like one of these guys up here. Okay? No, that's not what it says. It says mammon means excess beyond the necessity for survival. That's what mammon means. We call it riches. That's having a lot. Well, I'm not rich. I'm just struggling, man. I can't even hardly get my bills paid, so it doesn't pertain to me. Of course, I can't. I'm not serving riches. If I had riches, then maybe I have, might have to deal with it. Okay? That's not what he says. Mammon means excess beyond the necessity of living. Jesus talks about a coat. He, he talks about if someone, if you see someone and if they don't have a coat and you have two, give them one. Okay? Why? Well, you have one. Don't need one. You know, he doesn't say, give him your coat, 
it's pretty pertinent in this environment. Give him your coat and then you die. You know, that's probably not a good idea. Not necessarily what God said to do. Okay? God said, give of your excess beyond. And, and that in our culture is almost impossible to relate to. In fact, the devil has such, done such a good job of deceiving that he says, if you're just, if, if you're a living subsistence, paycheck to paycheck, living subsistence, just barely getting by, you're really kind of a loser. Uh, kind of a loser. Because God expects you to be more than that. He expects you to be successful. He expects you to God prospers. He expects you to not just live subsistence, paycheck to paycheck. That's, that's a loser. That's going nowhere. That's, you know, that's why you go to college. So you're not that way. It's, it, it's ingrained in us. Okay. And yet, what does God cho- us, call us to do? He says, don't worry about your food, about your shelter, about your clothing. Because that's mine. Look at the lilies of the field. Look at the birds of the air. Because I take care of them. What do you think about you who are created in my image? With the people that I long to have a relationship with who are my children. I care about those things. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, where we put our lives, where we outpour our lives, is what we'll reap from. For those who, the one who sows to his own flesh, to his own desire, what I want, what I think, what will make me happy, what will fulfill me, what will bring me security, what will bring me peace, Sows to his own flesh, sell from the flesh, reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit, being led by the Spirit. Remember, we talked about it. Are you led by the flesh? Or are you led by the Spirit? Shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not make that too distant. We're, you know, none of us thinks a whole lot. I guess as you get older, like me, you might start. But none of us thinks about our life insurance policy. It's just something we have and we're stuck it up in a box somewhere and we know we have it and it's gone and put away. And we kind of do that with our eternal life. Well, someday, I guess, we'll see what happens because we don't really know what's going to happen anyway. So, but we'll kind of put it up there and we've got that eternal security going on right here. Don't, it should not be that distant. Um, it's getting less and less distant for me. I'm, you know, it's amazing how fast it goes. Amazing how fast it goes. I mean, I think about climbing the mountain with my kids and Becky and I were talking and you know, I've drawn two elk tags in 25 years here. And, you know, I, I said to her, well, you know, in, in 20 more years, you know, um, if I draw another elk tag, and I thought, I'll be 75. <laughs> that might not go so well. I'm going to have to figure out a cart that the kids can pull me on, not much less the elk. You know, I mean, Get me to the top of the mountain. I mean, life goes by fast. Okay? And, and here, here, is, here is a very, very important premise to live by. Do not lose heart in doing good. Okay? Do not lose heart in doing good. For in due time, we shall reap if we do not grow weary. Okay? This is, we're so much about instant gratification. I want to give and get something. I want to put my money in and get something. God is saying, do not, God, is, He is not mocked. He does, it does not go unseen what you sow and what you sow to. And God is a loving Father. And let's be very clear. You will not outgive God. Okay? You will not. Put Him to the test. So then, when we ha- while we have opportunity, let us do good. When there is an opportunity... That is not to say, that is a completely different phrase from when it is convenient. That's not what it says, when it is convenient. It says, when there's opportunity. Okay? Well, we have opportunity. Let us do good to all men, and especially those who are the household of faith. I would challenge you to read that over, because there is the New Testament principle of tithing. It goes along with our life is not our own. We've been bought with a price. Let's finish up here with a couple of thoughts. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised 
simply that they might not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. There is a... This goes way beyond. And it's hard for us to understand this, what he's talking about here because we live in such a um, tragic culture. But, but we live in a culture that, that is... You don't make Johnny feel bad. We were talking about a song earlier when we were sitting here with Eric and, and Levi and, and Becky's been on the mountain with me a lot and she's heard me go through. There's, there's a song that we sing sometimes and there's a side of it that's very annoying to me. But there's a side of it that is profound and I've probably got about 30 hours of hiking with it going through my head now in the last few weeks. I just relentlessly can't get it out of my head and it really makes me mad sometimes, you know, and can't get out of my head. But that our, our God is greater. Our God is stronger than any other. Very politically incorrect statement, okay? You know, that, that, that does not go well. You know, because that's saying that if there is only one God to believe in, if you don't believe in that God, your God is substandard. Well, we don't say things like that in our culture because that'll make Johnny feel bad. We don't say that that is the truth. God is God. That is the God that we claim to believe in. The God of this Bible claims absolute supremacy. Period. And it's not relative. And it's not whatever you want to think. And your God's fine. You can believe in your God the way you do. And I believe in my God the way I do. And it's all good. That's our culture. God is not relative. God is absolute. God is, God is supreme. Okay? So, it becomes a very... You need to, to, to look at what he's saying here. In, in, in saying... These people at the time... Okay, they were absolutely convinced, and, and it's understandable. There's even there would be even a stronger, what would it be, philosophical argument for their stance than we would have in this day, in that they had been raised in a culture and they had it right here. Remember, we read last week, God said, "Be circumcised and circumcise your children," and if you don't, you aren't part of the deal. You're not part of my chosen ones. You're not part of my family. Circumcised. Literal, physical, circumcised. Okay? That's what God said. That's all they, the written word, what they had to go by. God's heart, the fulfillment. What did we read in Colossians? What, what is circumcision? Okay? In Him, you have, in Him, you were also circumcised. In Christ. Okay? Talking about born again believers. In Christ, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. In the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Is that what circumcision always represented? Yes. Was that God's intention? Yes. Just because they had a different looking thing, that's what set them apart? No. Was that in obedience and compliance to what God commanded them to do? Yes. But what was it that he was after? A different looking thing or their heart? Always after their heart. It was always about a people set apart for him. It was always about a circumcision of the heart. And now that completion, we no longer have to be obedient to the law. It was essential that they were obedient to the law. Why? Because that showed faith. What is our faith now? Our faith now is in crucifying ourselves, dying to ourselves. Giving our life and becoming new creatures. That's the fulfillment of it. It's not in stumbling and bumbling along in every week or every month or every feast or every ceremony we have to go slay a lamb or slay a dove or slay a calf or slay an ox or a bull and spread the blood and sprinkle the blood to atone for our sins. Does that do any good right now? With the Jewish people finding the blue heifer and being able to set up their system of sacrifice have an effectual, positive result in their salvation. No. 
That is past. It's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Okay? Fulfilled. Absolutely fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Circumcision the same way. But, again, I challenge you. What are our circumcisions? What are the things that we hold up there in addition to total and complete surrender to Jesus Christ? Are we a new creation? That's what Paul is saying. He's saying that, that it is no longer the outward signs, the keeping of the law. It is no longer keeping up certain standards and coming up with your, because we all want to do it. We all naturally do it. Why? Because we're humans in our flesh who believe that we can please God by our goodness. And we can't. By His grace and His mercy. But He set up the whole thing to work for us to have a right relationship with Him, to be forgiven. To be empowered to, to live literally as a new creation. Ephesians will talk about it. You know, he, he, Jesus talks real quickly and then we'll end. In, in, in Ephesians chapter 2, he says, in, 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 listen to the, the timeline, I guess you might say. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them you too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in his mercy because of his great love, which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, in order that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not as a result of works, that no one should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which Christ prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. I, God, I thank you that you gave us examples of prayer and, and one of them is here in Ephesians. And Paul talks about that he does not cease to give thanks and, and this is my prayer to my brothers and sisters here. It says, for this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. And this is what Paul prayed and this is what I prayed. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of His power towards us to believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might. This is my prayer. It's not a dumbing down and anemic add to our lives. It's walking as children of you, God. It's being sons and daughters of you. Empowered. Empowered with the surpassing greatness of your power towards us. So I pray that you would enlighten our hearts. Open our hearts. Cause us to look and not just be sheep blindly following the traditions of men. Blindly following the the historic actions of a religious world that God causes to be enlightened by your truth so that we'll walk as people of light so we are salt and light in this world. 
I thank You that Your grace is all we need. I thank You for providing a way for us to enter into a healthy, right relationship where our lives are outpouring towards You and towards each other. So that we can be fulfilled and complete as You desired and as You created us to be. Just like Adam and Eve in the garden. They walked in completeness and fullness and euphoria. In an outpouring relationship, mutual of them to you and you to them. You desire that we walk in that relationship again. That enlightened relationship again. Freed from sin. Freed from guilt and shame. Forgiven. Renewed. Restored. I thank you that you are not mocked. You are not a God who doesn't see. You cannot be outgiven. The principle of sowing and reaping is eminent in our world, is, is unquestionable. You designed it. You put it in. Plant corn, you get corn. Causes to realize the essentialness of being led by your spirit, not by circumstances, not by our wants and desires, not by what we think would make us happy, but to be led by your Spirit and to trust that you are a God who is not outgiven. You are not mocked. You are a loving Father. God, teach us what it means to pour our lives out to each other, to reflect your goodness and your glory and your giving and your outpouring towards us. Thank you, Jesus, for paying the ultimate price. Thank you, Jesus, for going through crucifixion. Thank you, Jesus, that we can now be a people of Yahweh, a people of God. Amen.